Hey, this is Joseph Massonary. I'm the pastor at Cornerstone, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope this helps you build your faith. I hope in some way that God will challenge you with a new perspective as you listen. Enjoy the message. Well, before we get into the word today, can we bow our heads and let's just focus in on what the Holy Spirit has for each of us today, because I believe he has a a word for you. He has a word if you're watching online. He has a word for you if you're here present, however you're listening. God, we just come to you today. God, thank you that we can be in your house. God, thank you that we can be in this city, in this country. God, thank you that we, 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 God, we are a country that was founded on biblical principles. God, forgive us for those times when we haven't measured up. But God, we look to you. We seek you now. God, we need you now. And so, Lord, as we get into your word, may all the distractions going on in our homes, in our lives, in our city, in our country, may those just fall by the wayside and would your Holy Spirit do a work in us. God, we ask your Holy Spirit to speak to us, to convict us. God, even that some of us would be open to that word called change. And may that change start in our hearts before we point the finger at everybody else telling them how to change. God, we are ready to hear from you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, can you believe it? We are in week, my goodness, week eight of this series called Plot Twist on the life of, somebody say it, Joseph, right? We've been with him for a while and we are going to wrap this up because next week, We're going to be celebrating 35 years as a church. Holy cow, that's pretty amazing. And um, yeah, don't miss it. Don't miss it. Circle that. We're going to have some desserts. We're going to have a celebration. We're going to have a guest speaker. Pastor Pete Akins is going to challenge us next week, so it's going to be amazing. But, uh, you know, as we talk about Joseph today, one of the things, for me, the more I've been into this portion of Scripture, the more I just want to kind of stay here a few more weeks. Y'all are like, no, you need to move on, bro. Let's go, right? But I look at Joseph and I'm like, this hero of the Old Testament, as much as we talk about Moses and David, there's something about Joseph to me that is just so magnetic, something that I'm drawn to, something in his attitude, something in his behavior that it just stand. why does, it seems like the Holy Spirit just seems to shine all over him. Would you agree with that this morning? Seems like God just seems to move all throughout his life. And, and, and I think, man, as we talk about this and we wrap this up, I think that the greatness revealed in Joseph was because of one thing, and it was his attitude. It, it, I think his, his attitude towards life's difficulties, his attitude towards difficult people, somebody say amen, amen. right? His attitude towards difficult people, but I think his attitude towards his God. His attitude towards God is what I believe reveals just how great of a man he was. He has been tested over and over again since the age of 17. And so we are wrapping up what I would say is like a 22-year saga in the life of this man named Joseph, who at 17 was sold into slavery. He was mistreated for 13 years. And we're going to jump into this family reunion of all family reunions. Are you ready for it today? Genesis chapter 44, and we're going to kind of jump around in this section, but the, the main core of the verses are verses 1 through 34. So if you want to kind of read through there this week, 
But we're going to get into this story, and can we start in verse 1 today? Are you with me? Let's do it. When his brothers were ready to leave, Joseph gave these instructions to his palace manager. He said, fill their sacks with as much grain as they can carry and put each man's money back into his sack. Is this sounding familiar, folks? Right? As with the first trip, this is like history repeating itself. Then, here's a twist. Maybe it's a twist. Maybe it's a test. Put my personal silver cup at the top of the younger brother's sack along with the money for his grain. So the manager did just as Joseph instructed him. Uh, This is like deja vu. If I put myself in this story, wouldn't you think for a second maybe these older brothers would check their luggage before they go? I'm just saying, like, let's see what's going on here, right? But this is interesting. Joseph once again fills up their food. He fills up their sacks with more food than they can carry. He fills up, he gives them back their money. He's very generous. But here's the plot twist as he throws his own personal chalice, his own silver cup, back into Benjamin's sack. Verse 3, the brothers were up at dawn and were sent on their journey with their loaded donkeys. But when they had gone only a short distance, they were barely out of the city. Joseph said to his palace manager, chase after them and stop them. When you catch up with them, ask them, why have you repaid my kindness? Remember where we left off. What was his kindness? His kindness was he threw the greatest buffet Las Vegas has ever known. Do you remember that? He threw his brothers a party. He threw a, 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 he, he invited them into his home and they feasted and he just over, he was like trying to fatten up Benjamin, Right? Why have you repaid my kindness with such evil? Why have you stolen my master's silver cup, which he uses to predict the future? What a wicked thing you have done. And I can't, I I just can imagine like the the look on the brothers' faces when they get pulled over again uh, by by this this, uh, leader of Joseph's home, by the manager of Joseph's affairs, And I think they were probably so certain, like, we did not steal a thing. And actually, we'll see that in verse 9, we'll kind of skip through some of this, but they were so convinced that they were innocent, they were so convinced that our brothers, none of us would be such knuckleheads to steal from you, right? They were so convinced that they said, you know what, you can take the life of anyone who has your silver cup, because we know none of us, us 11 boys, we did not do it, us 11 men. And they said, the rest of us, if this happens, we will all stay here and work for you. That's how confident they were. Verse 10, that's fair, the manager, the man replied, but only, only the one who stole the cup will be my slave. The rest of you may go free. They all quickly took their sacks from the backs of their donkeys and opened them up. The palace manager searched the brother's sacks from the oldest to the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. When the brothers saw this, they tore their clothing in despair. Then they loaded their donkeys again and returned to the city. As we jump into this scripture, and we're going to look at the next chapter again today as we wrap up our story, it's, it's interesting how quickly to me these brothers were prepared to just open up their bags, their luggage. They were so confident that they had done nothing wrong. But when this time comes when it is their youngest brother, Benjamin, who was found to have the stolen item in his sack, I think it's interesting that they all returned at once to the city. I wonder what Joseph was doing here. 
Was this a, a final exam? Was this some type of test? I, I wonder, was he thinking, will they abandon Benjamin like they abandoned me in that pit years and years, possibly 22 years earlier when they, they wanted to kill Joseph? Reuben, the, the brother, had to actually talk the rest of his siblings down. If you remember, he said, let's, let's not kill him. Let's not kill him. And in fact, he said, instead of killing him, let's sell him. Verse 16, let's skip ahead a little bit. Judah now answered, Oh my Lord, what can we say to you? How can we explain this? How can we prove our innocence? And get this, would you underline this? Would you circle this? Because I think in a way, Judah is confessing something without even knowing it. He's confessing something that had happened long ago when he says, God is punishing us for our sins. God is punishing us for our sins. My Lord, we have all returned to be your slaves, all of us, not just our brother who had your cup in his sack. I believe it was Judah who realized in this moment something happened. He, he came to the realization, you all may have kept this secret pretty well, but God did not overlook this. You brothers may have been quiet about this and not really spoken about this among yourselves, but God has seen and God knows. God knows what happened back in the day when you turned against Joseph, your brother. And I think it's interesting because instead of leaving their youngest brother, ben Benjamin, behind, what did they do? They turned back for him. Bible says that they went back, and I think something happened within Joseph as he's observing his brothers. I think he's observing the fact that people can change. He's observing that his brothers are changing, that they are growing up, that they don't pass the blame to their youngest brother. There is no doubt in my mind Benjamin has replaced Joseph as the favorite still, right? Because Jacob's character, if we remember Jacob's character, he has not changed all that much. Remember this, the, the teaching we did on Jacob a couple weeks ago, right? Jacob, the father, I guarantee you, he still showed massive amounts of favoritism to Benjamin. He still probably planned on Benjamin getting the entire inheritance, becoming that firstborn son, even though he was the youngest because he was the last living sibling, the last living kid of his beloved wife, Rachel. But they don't pass the blame. Instead, Judah says, if Benjamin's guilty, we're all guilty. How many of you know it's like they behave the way brothers should behave, right? I mean, brothers should have each other's back, even when your brother is a knucklehead, right? It's like we're going to just go down together. That is like code. Verse 17, no, Joseph said, I would never do such a thing. Only the man who stole the cup will be my slave. The rest of you may go back and, and, and go back to your father in peace. If you look in your Bible this morning, verses 18 through 34, Judah goes on to give an eloquent, even shocking speech. He's the man who, remember some 22 years ago, he was a part of this conversation that says, let's kill him. Let's kill him. Let's kill Joseph, right? Judah was a part of that conversation, and now he's speaking on behalf of all the brothers who 22 years ago said, that's that dreamer. That's that punk with that pretty coat. That's the, that's the kid that's going to inherit more money than me. That's the kid. Dad is ridiculous. He doesn't make him do any work. He's his favorite. And years later, Judah says in these verses, he says, no, no, no. Please, my Lord. Let's look at verse 33. Let's pick it up. Please, my Lord, let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy. 
and let the boy return with his brothers. He says, for how can I return to my father if the boy is not with me? And then look at this. I love what he says. Even though Jacob, say it like this, even though he's a father that falls short, Jacob, even though he's a father that shows extreme favoritism towards a couple of sons, even though he's a father that doesn't lead his family spiritually, what does Judah say about him? He says, I can't bear to see my father suffer like this again. Because he remembered, he probably remembered the way his father wept when Joseph was killed. When Joseph went missing, when he was gone, he remembered the hurt that they were responsible for. He remembered causing that pain to his father. And he says, nope, nope, nope. We're not going to do it again. He says, I can't bear to take that pain, that shame. Take me instead. I think for Joseph, there is clearly no doubt in his mind, right? If you were going to test your family members as these strangers, there was no doubt in his mind that his brothers have changed, that they have been transformed, that they are different. And Joseph could see it. Have you ever, have you ever ran into somebody where you're like, man, there's just something different about you? Anybody? There's just something different. There's something different. You've matured. You've changed. And here, here's sometimes what causes a difference. Number one this morning, repentance. Repentance. It changes us. Repentance always leads to transformation. Repentance always leads to change. It leads to transformation. Repentance is at work in this family unit. It, 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 these men have changed And this next portion of scripture is the section we have been waiting for since week number one. It's one of the greatest moments in all of the Old Testament scripture, I believe. There's some sound bites, and if you jump ahead even to chapter 50, right, where we will end today, but the the climax to this story, the final plot twist is going to happen. This is what we've been working for for eight weeks, Genesis chapter 45. Are you ready for it? Oh man, you all are sleeping on me. I just really got your attention. You ready for it? That's it. Let's do it. Let's read it. Joseph says he could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his, his attendants, out, all of you, this governor, this prime minister, he cleared the room, only Joseph and his 11 brothers now in the room. What, what a room to be in. They're they're there, and I can't help but think, what was Reuben, and what was Judah, what was Benjamin, what were they all thinking at this point? What is he, I'm I'm wondering if they're like, what's he going to do to us? They don't know, right? What is he clearing the room for? This is all so strange. I can imagine they were having some thought. What is this powerful governor going to do? And let's read what happens. So Joseph was alone with his brothers. When he told them who he was, then he broke down and he wept. Get this, he wept so loudly, the Egyptians could hear him, and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. This is interesting to me, right? Joseph, the man of wisdom, the man with power, the man with a name. I'm sure the attendants were like, Pharaoh, this, the, the guy who is saved, he, your, your boy's loosing it, right? I love how it says, word quickly spread to Pharaoh that Joseph has lost it. Emotionally, he is weeping, and they don't know why. This man with all the power, all of the the, the decision maker, the shot caller, he is ready to go and he's second to only Pharaoh in importance. He breaks down into tears just weeping. Verse three, are you ready for it? 
I am Joseph. Oh my goodness. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? He goes right there. But his brothers were, guess what? Speechless. That's right. Could you imagine? Of course, right? Of course. Their brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them, is what my NLT translation says. This moment feels impossible to describe. When you think about it, 22, some 20 years later, he, he, he looks at his brothers and he says, I am Joseph, but immediately, what does that remind them of? Their last contact with a brother who they thought was gone. I am the one you hated. I am the brother you wanted to kill. I'm the brother you threw into the pit. I'm the brother you sold into slavery. I am Joseph who you abandoned. And oh my goodness, I think I would react like what we're going to see these brothers react. Verse 4, Joseph says this, please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother whom you sold into slavery. No one else would know this, right? This is impossible information for someone to fake. And as they stood in shock, and even shock probably began to turn to fear. Have you ever just been discovered, right? Something you thought was like buried and done with, and it just comes to the surface. And this tear-filled, powerful leader says, come closer. I'm your brother. And the Hebrew verb here, it's nagash. It refers to not just proximity, not just being close, but it refers to intimate closeness. The verb that is used in the original Hebrew, it's a term for coming close and kissing. It's coming closer, coming closer. It meant more than just walking in the proximity, walking close by in the room. But think Joseph said, come and take a look at my eyes. I believe Joseph said, come and take a look at my face. Come and you will see more than just an Egyptian ruler. But if you look close enough, you will see your flesh and your blood. If you look close enough, you will see your brother. These 10 brothers... Remember, Benjamin was not a part of this coup. These 10 brothers never thought this day was even a remote possibility, did they? They never thought this day, they, they have kept this secret, this family sin for 20 years, and now the truth, which is Joseph, it's staring them right in the face. The truth, Joseph's looking right at them, and I think all of their sorrow, all of their guilt, all of their betrayal, it's just standing right there with Joseph, it's, it's looking right back at them. And I love the graciousness and the maturity and just how great Joseph really was. Because in this moment, I, I don't think I could respond the way he did. Joseph, I think, could see it all over their, their body language. I think Joseph could see their sorrow in, their, in their, the way that they held their shoulders. He probably could see the way they would break eye contact with him. And he says, don't be upset. Look at verse 5. Come on now, that's amazing. Don't be upset. He could see their, their posture changing. And what he says, it's so much grace. Don't be upset. And don't be angry with yourselves. 
for selling me to this place, which how many of you know if you have wronged someone so much, this is an impossible task for these 10 brothers? They will always remember. They will always remember. They always remember that guilt. Don't be angry with yourselves is what Joseph says, but then get this. Would you underline this? It was God. Wow. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. Oh my goodness. Does the story of Joseph, no, no, like just kind of going off the notes here as I just kind of read this, I just go, oh my gosh, this is a story of redemption and grace for 10 brothers. But when we jump to the New Testament, I think, man, the story of Jesus is so similar to Joseph, except Jesus is for everyone, right? I'm so thankful Jesus doesn't just apply to the 10 brothers. Oh my goodness. It was God who sent me here to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, is what Joseph says. And that's why I think, I don't think, the, I think these brothers thought the, the famine would stop. I think that's why they didn't go back for more food right away. They thought it would, it would stop. Joseph says, no, five more years. There will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive. And get this, God has sent me to preserve many survivors. Our final point as we just close out this series, number two, it was God. It was God all along. Think in your life, think of the turns, think of the plot twists that have taken place in your story, and can you confidently say it was God? When the average person, <laughs> oh man, comes face to face with someone who has cut them so deeply, I don't know about you, but I think I would just like, I'd be thinking of the, what I could do to these guys. The av- like, I think like I am so different from this Joseph. The average person, I think, like, would not be able to respond the way Joseph did. He's not thinking of creative ways to pay them back, but all those years in prison, all those years alone, all those lies told about him, time had changed him. If you remember at 17, he was the young boy showing up at the coat, not doing as much work. All those years changed him. Those years shaped him. That time with God shaped him. And I think like now that he's in his, probably in his, his, his lower to mid-30s, Joseph has become God's man. He's become this man used by God, and he always has this perspective that is greater than one that I often have. He has this vertical perspective and he's not looking at things in a horizontal fashion. He says, it was God. Those three words are amazing to me. It was God. He says, it wasn't you. It wasn't you. Verse eight. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of of all of Egypt. It's like he, guys, this is, this is not you. This was God's plan. And I think it's interesting because if you probably have Joseph's perspective, he's going like, my brothers, I, I forgive you. I love you, but you are no way capable or smart enough to have known what you set in motion, what God would pull off, right? 
So this isn't you, because there's no way you could have accomplished this on your own to put me here in this position of power. It was God, and God saw it as an opportunity to preserve us, is what he says. What, God, God says this is what our family needed to survive. This is what our culture needs to, preserve, to survive. And, and, and I love, we're going to see it. He doesn't ignore their motives either. But I believe God works around their evil motives. God works through even or outside their evil motives to preserve this family. Verse 9. Now hurry back to my father and tell him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me master over the land of Egypt, so come down to me immediately. You can live in the region of Goshen, where you can be near me with all your children and your grandchildren, your flocks and your herds and everything you own. I will make him an offer he can't refuse. This is an amazing offer, right? This is an offer. He says, come on, I'm going to care for you. Bring dad down here. You guys are going to starve if you stay in Canaan. Get down here. Verse 11, I will take care of you there. For there are still, and he re- there are five years of famine ahead of us, folks. Otherwise, you, your household, and all your animals will starve. What I love about Joseph, I don't think, I, I just, I don't think we know if Joseph wrote any scripture. Um, I'm taking a guess. Pa- I'll ask my, my expert, Pastor Greg, do we know if he wrote any scripture? He didn't write any agenda, right? We don't know for sure if this man wrote any scripture, but I'm certain he had strong theology. You know why? Because Joseph, I, I love this, his theology, his beliefs about his God trumped his emotions. Isn't that amazing? His belief about God, God, you arranged these events. I refuse to believe, yes, my brother's intentions were evil, but God, you arranged for me to be here. It was God. Talk about a man of theology. And so often, like, we need to remind ourselves, not everything you believe is true. Let, like, let that awkward silence stick in. Like That's what Scripture says. Like Not everything your heart thinks or feels is true. It's not all accurate. That's what Scripture says. God has made me master over the land of Egypt. He says, come live here. Don't starve. Don't live paycheck to paycheck anymore. Bring your kids. Bring your animals. Bring your grandkids. Bring dad, please. I'd love to see him as he's getting up there in age. Come live near me. Let's look at verse 12. Then Joseph added, look, you can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that I really am Joseph. Go tell my father of my honored position here in Egypt. Describe for him everything you have seen, and then bring my father here quickly. As we wrap up our series called Plot Twist, I love the heart of Joseph, the heart of forgiveness that he offers to his brothers. He sees how they have changed. He sees how they do not leave Benjamin behind. They honor Jacob. And this great man of Egypt, this governor of Egypt, he shows us the right way to be merciful, doesn't he? He shows us the right way to handle people, to be generous, to be gracious, to be forgiving. And look what happens next in verse 14. I think this might be our final scripture of the series. You ready for it? Weeping with joy, he embraced Benjamin, and Benjamin did the same. 
Then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and he wept over them. And after that, they began talking freely with him. Forgiveness is running its course, taking place within these relationships. And I bet, like how how many of you think, like once you get some brothers together, they have a whole lot to catch up on. Remember the party they threw last week? It was like they just decided, they just started partying and they didn't even know they were partying with their brother, but they just started a party. I'm sure they had so much to talk about. But within those conversations, I think it's, it's, it's impossible to think that the guilt that those brothers felt, felt didn't show up from time to time. How many of us have ever felt guilty over something we said or we did and we have a hard time letting it go and anytime we connect with that person, we remember, right? And I think any time that would happen, I think Joseph was the type of man, the type of leader that probably said something like, you know what, guys, I'm going to stop you right here. I'm going to stop you right now. I already told you once, and I'm going to tell you the rest of our lives, it was God that brought me here. So let's not rehearse it. Let's not talk about then. Let's talk about now. Let's talk about how God worked it out. Let's talk about how I'm like the richest guy in Egypt, right? whatever it is. Let's talk about now. Let's not talk about then because his heart was so right. I love this quote I found this week. When our heart is right, the feet are swift. It was a quote by Thomas Jefferson. When the heart is right, the feet move quickly is what he's saying. When the heart is right, you don't hesitate. And Joseph says, man, let's talk about how good our God is. Let's talk about how good he is for putting me here, for preserving our family, for preserving uh, uh, all of our kids for preserving us. There's no amount of chance. There's no amount of happenstance. There's no amount of luck that could have brought me to this place. And the greatness was revealed in Joseph because he had this attitude towards others. But I think mainly his attitude constantly was was right with God, wasn't it? How often we lose sight of that, right? I want to conclude with this. Joseph always seemed to have the right attitude. He seemed to have the right perspective And as we jump and Thanksgiving is around the corner and we talk about attitudes and having an attitude of of gratitude, Joseph always seemed to view things from the right point of view. Would you write down a few scriptures if you're taking notes? These scriptures are all found in Genesis. Genesis 39 verse 2, it says, the Lord was with Joseph. Genesis 39 verse 3 How the Lord caused all that he did to prosper. Oh my goodness, that's what the Bible says. 39 verse 5, the Lord blessed the Egyptians. He's referring to Potiphar's house. The Lord blessed the Egyptians' household on behalf, on account of Joseph. 39 verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph. 39, 23, because the Lord was with Joseph. Do you see where we're going here as we kind of roll back and wrap all of these eight weeks into one? 41, verse 16, Joseph answered saying, it is not me. God will give a favorable answer. 41, 28, it is as I have spoken, God has shown it to Pharaoh and God is about to do it. 41, 32, the matter is determined by God and God will bring it about. The secret was in Joseph's life, he refused to ever leave God out of the equation. Hello, do we see that? 
He always made God the center of the story. And because God was in the center of his relationship, in the center of his walk, in the center, it made his heart was right, his attitude was right, his motives were right, his perspective was, was vertical, was above all of the junk that was going on in his culture. Every situation we see God identified in the situation with Joseph. And here's something in our walk with the Lord that we don't necessarily like, but when we learn to view our situation from a vertical perspective, here's what I would say. God allowed or approved all these things to happen to Joseph, even the negative. And we don't like to talk about that very much in church, do we? Right? We don't like to talk about the bad things, the negative things in every situation. This, what, what Scripture is telling us in Genesis, all throughout this story of Joseph, is God was there in the good. Oh, and you better believe he was there in the bad. God was there in the good seasons of blessing and abundance after he got out of prison, but God was also with him when he was accused falsely of things he did not do when his brothers sold him. And I think all of this hardship, think of something so foolish and so little. All of Joseph's problems began with this stupid coat. Think about it. Think, I mean, you just go back. We want to like, you guys are like, oh my gosh, he's, my kid, my girls will be like, he said the S word. That's right. But all of it began with his coat. I don't know, like, where you bought your coat today, right? All of this began with this personal item but the end result if I could just wrap this up God birthed a nation in Egypt do we think about how big that is how crazy that is God birthed a nation in a foreign power in a foreign superpower in a foreign land God birthed a nation all because these brothers simply moved there wow think about that all because they and they moved there because that's where the food was let's get practical They moved there because that's how they were going to survive. That's where the food was, and also that's where their brother is the boss. Hello. That's pretty cool. They moved because our brother is running the superpower of the time. We're going to move to a foreign land, and God births a nation through these 12 men. Oh, my goodness. Isn't that amazing? I think sometimes as we talk about scripture and it's it's good to get excited in worship and it's good to go to church and get into the word but sometimes i think like what's what's the what's the point of gathering like we know the bible says do not forsake gathering together it's important but you know what's also important because we always we talk about giving and we talk about uh showing up and we talk about serving but you know what else is important is actually just telling someone about jesus Sometimes it seems like, like what is it about church and, and culture in America today? It's like we're blessed with so much information about God that we, um, we, we, can we say it like this? I think like, I don't know, this could be really good theology or bad theology. Be careful, watch out. But sometimes we know enough about God to be saved. We know enough about God to be saved, but we don't move and we don't go and we don't 
tell, and we don't necessarily, like the Holy Spirit hasn't nudged us to share anything. We know enough about God to be saved, but like we, we, we aren't moved enough by the Holy Spirit. Like we, we still love being like miserable sometimes as a Christian. Anybody relate to that sometimes? Like we don't really tell people about the joy we have because we're like, I'm a Christian, but I don't have so much joy today, right? I love this story of Joseph. This end result is that God did a miracle. He preserved a people, and, and he sent these brothers to the land where the little brother was in charge. It's as simple as that. And let's kind of rehash. Let's review this story as we wrap this up. You ready for it? Joseph was in charge because, well, the Pharaoh made him second in command. The grand vizier, the, the governor, the prime minister. But he, like if we trace God's fingerprints over his story, he was made second in command. Why? Because he interpreted a dream. He interpreted a dream. Why? Because there was a cupbearer that was a knucklehead and forgot about him. But two years later, he said, oh yeah, there was a guy in prison. Two years later, after I should have done him a solid, but now we need this dream interpreted. Now, the reason he, he interpreted the cupbearer's dream right, was because he was in prison. Why was he in prison? He was in prison because a woman falsely accused him of something he didn't do. The woman falsely accused him because she, she, she owned him. She worked. He was a slave for her husband. She could do whatever she wanted. He was a slave for Potiphar. Why? Because there was a group of Midianites who sold him and as we wrap this up, there was a group of Midianites who sold him because there was a group of brothers who were jealous of him. And these brothers were jealous of him because he had a knucklehead father that showed favoritism towards him. And, and this knucklehead father did what? He made a stinking coat. That's where this whole story, if you trace the whole thing back, years later, it was all because of a coat, but Joseph would say, no, it wasn't. It was all God. Amen? It was all God. So years later, look at this scripture. Jump to Genesis 50. We're going to close with this. Verse 18. Genesis 50. Years later, the brothers, and I would encourage you, finish off all these chapters this week. This is a wonderful reading. But more and more years had passed, and Father, eventually, Jacob passes away. And when Jacob passes away, it's interesting to me. These brothers still can't let go of their guilt. What Joseph has buried long ago, the brothers still carry. And it affects their perspective every day of their lives. Years had gone by, but they begin to worry about their, themselves and their situation. And what could happen to them after dad dies. Dad dies, and uh-oh, they start to say, Oh my goodness, have we really been forgiven? Is Joseph, now that Jacob's dead, is Joseph really going to finally take care of business and what they feel like he had a right to do, right? And so that guilt still clings to their lives. And let's look at what Joseph tells them again. Let's look at how he reassures them. Verse 18 of Genesis 50, then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, and I wonder how many times Joseph had to say this to his brothers. Don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. You intended evil, but God meant it for good. He brought me to this position 
so I could save the lives of many people. I love so much that Joseph doesn't sugarcoat their actions here. Do you notice that in Scripture? Sometimes we love to do that, like I'm doing great when I'm really doing terrible, right? But Joseph says, like, your motives were evil. He just says it. He doesn't deny. He says, yes, you meant it for evil. And he says, there was nothing good about what you wanted to do. There was nothing good about what you did do. And he was real about it, but he says, but God. Turn to someone and say, but God. But God meant it for what? God meant it for good. God meant it for good. And it's not just this, this dumb coat. It's not luck. It's, it's not just chance that all this happened because of a gift that Joseph never asked for, because of a father that did not display wisdom. It's proof to us today, church, that get this as we close, that God can take the evil after evil that you experience. God can take the mess after mess that you have created. God can take the situation after situation that just stinks, and he can still bring us to a purpose and to a destiny if, but here's the big if, if we keep God in the middle of our lives and our attitude and our situation. Somebody say amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Let's close. God, we come to you today, and Lord, as we just as we wrap up this time on this hero of the faith, Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be inspired and challenged and directed by the life of Joseph today. A leader, a, a man, a hero that suffered the consequences of someone else's sin. He, he suffered the harmful effects of his family's sin. And we know that each of us today, as we close, as we close, we know that each of us listening, if you're online today, if you're in the house today, each of us here can relate to Joseph in some way, shape, or form. You've had older siblings that have let you down. You've had someone hurt you. You've had someone cause you pain. You've had someone betray your trust. You've had someone take advantage of you financially. Each of us can relate to Joseph. And here's what we need to be real about. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, is some of us need to settle the fact in our hearts that it was not a hurt done by mistake, but it was intentional. I love that Joseph says that. You meant it for harm. Your motives were evil. It was done with purpose. We can all relate. Like unfair treatment intentionally. Unfair treatment manipulated. As we close today, maybe you remember the the trauma that was caused, the the betrayal, the hurt that was done to you. And, And scripturally speaking, like Joseph would say, it was evil, it was done for evil, and it was done intentionally. You don't have to deny it. You don't have to pretend like it didn't happen. You don't have to pretend like their mo- it was an accident. That person deliberately did cause... <laughs> that person deliberately hurt you. But Joseph, he said to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God. But God... But God meant it for good. God flipped it all around. Prayer teams, would you come forward this morning and let's pray as we close.
but God turned it around. I think one of the things we have a culture that so often we talk about depression and mental health and certain those things are very very real very present but I think Joseph shows us a little insight a little glimpse of one of the ways we can strive to find happiness in the hurt of life in the grind of life in the mundane of life it's to view things with God view things with God from a heavenly perspective God we need you now amen this morning as we get ready to come before the table of the Lord do you have your elements today would you grab your cups get a communion from you guys there Jesus on the night he was betrayed he was with his disciples and I think it's interesting talking about Joseph and Jesus and what they did for those in whom they loved I always am amazed that Jesus bothered to take communion with Judas in the room, right? Judas, I would have kicked him out. (laughs) Y'all can be here. You need to leave. This communion ain't for you. But that wasn't Jesus, the heart of Christ, was it? It wasn't the heart of Joseph. He said, you're all included. You're going to get covered even (laughs) even though you've messed up. The Bible says that before we take communion that we need to examine our hearts can we do that this morning would you prepare and can we just examine our hearts as we close this series called plot twist God all the weeks we've talked about this hero Joseph God what is it you are speaking to me through his story because his scripture is alive and moving today God, what area do I need to be more like Joseph? God, what area is it that I need to be more and more forgiving? God, what area is it I need to be thinking more and more from a vertical perspective? God, what area is it that I need to extend forgiveness to someone who hurt me? Before we take communion, can we just think of that? Can we just offer that to the Lord? the healer now you are the same God you are the same God you were providing then you are providing now you are the same God you are the same God you moved in power then God would you move in my life would you move in power now 
You're the same God. You are the same God. I'm calling on the Holy Spirit. Almighty river, almighty river, come and fill me again. He took the body. He said, this is my body broken for you. And anytime we do this, would you take and would you eat and would you do this in remembrance of me? Let's do that together. Jesus took the cup, he turned it over, he said, this is the cup that represents my blood, which is going to be poured out. It's going to be that final sacrifice you will ever need. It's going to provide that access to the Father that you don't have. It's going to cover you. It's going to shield you. He took the cup and said, this is my blood poured out for you do this in remembrance of me. Take and drink. Can we do that this morning? Maybe you're here today as we close. You just need a touch from the Heavenly Father. Maybe you need to get alone with God. Maybe you need to come and pray with some of our prayer team. I think one of the things that encourages me most about the story of Joseph is that it's a reminder of how much our God wants to be with us, of how much he's willing to completely and totally cover us. Someone say amen, right? Thank you for joining us today. And a special thanks to those who give to Cornerstone. You know, it's because of you, our ministry, it's possible. Uh, You can click the link in the description to give now or visit us at cornerstonelv.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe. You can share it with friends, share it with family. Help us spread God's word. You can also join us live every Sunday. We invite you 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. We stream service live. Thank you again for listening.